Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Dave McKechnie, standing in this week for Chris Dooley. It's exactly a month since Americans voted in the presidential election, and Donald Trump continues to cry foul over the process. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd election. At the same time, he acknowledges in a roundabout way that his Democratic rival Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. There have been unedifying tweets, press conferences, recounts and legal claims. But at the same time, local officials have quietly gone about their business, certifying the results of the election. The drama is certainly not over, with lots to happen between now and Biden's inauguration on January the 20th. To talk us through some of the recent events and what is to come, I'm joined on the line by our Washington correspondent Suzanne Lynch. Suzanne, Donald Trump is still tweeting about winning the election, but it's fair to say that his legal challenges fell apart more quickly than he expected and perhaps some of us feared. Yes, so uh, Donald Trump is uh, remained at the White House, which he will, where he will remain until January the 20th, but um, you know has not accepted the results of these election. He's still not conceded. Uh, as you mentioned there, his legal team, led by Rudy Giuliani, his long-term um, advisor and lawyer, um, has not had much success at all across the country. They were focusing on certain states, um, where uh, the swing states, essentially, where they were hoping to overturn the outcome of that election. Uh, that hasn't happened. Um, at the moment, uh, the second recount in Georgia is just finishing um, but again, the Secretary of State there in that state has said, you know, that is not going to change the outcome of this election. Uh, Georgia's 16 Electoral College votes have gone to Joe Biden. That's that. Um, so this is what's happening uh, for Donald Trump. He his also uh, his other strategy was to try and encourage lawmakers from certain Republican controlled states to essentially uh, side with him and declare that their state had voted for him, even if the, it had voted for Biden. We saw that in particular with the state of Michigan, and he invited uh, local state lawmakers, Republicans, to the White House to discuss this, um, allegedly. Um, and they, in fact, said they were not going to do that. And no, Michigan also has now been declared uh, for Joe Biden. So at the moment, we're in this process whereby each state is certifying, officially certifying its results. And then um, the next key date will be um, December the 8th, which is called the safe harbour period when most uh, states will report their results effectively. And then December the 14th is when the Electoral College meets. And that's when uh, all states will officially certify the results and we will have the results in, if you like. Now, one of those states where, where Trump was putting pressure on officials was Georgia. This week, a local official, Gabriel Sterling, uh, lashed out at the president, a uh, Republican official, uh, for, for potentially endangering lives in the state uh, with his rhetoric. It has all gone too far. All of it. Joe DeGeneva today asked for Chris Krebs, a patriot who ran CISA, to be shot. A 20-something tech in Gwinnett County today has death threats and a noose put out saying he should be hung for treason because he was transferring a report on batches from an EMS to a county computer so he could read it. It has to stop. Mr. President, you have not condemned these actions or this language. Senators, you have not condemned this language or these actions. 
This has to stop. Have any Republicans in Washington been saying anything about this, or are they just letting Trump get on with it? Yeah, we have. Um, we have seen. We have seen a few more Republicans um, accept the results of the election, even though they are still refusing to declare Joe Biden as the winner. Uh, For example, Mitch McConnell, the top Republican in the Senate, he this week referred to the new administration coming in next next year. But he has not yet referred to Joe Biden as president-elect. Now, Joe Biden has been, if you like, happy to let that sit, uh, maybe allowing them that political cover they they obviously feel they need at the moment. Because uh, the issue for Republicans is that Polls are showing that a majority, a small majority, but a majority of Republicans believe that Trump won the election. So uh, Trump continues to be a very important figure in the party. He's a very popular figure in the party. He holds a lot of sway. So what we're seeing uh, here in Washington and indeed in Georgia is people kind of scared uh, to take on Donald Trump, I think, because they're worried about his supporters. Um, You know, and whether his hold on this on his party will begin to disintegrate once uh, we get closer to Inauguration Day and indeed once the new presidency begins remains to be seen. But I think that dynamic at the moment is what's driving and what's making a lot of uh, Republicans reluctant. And what's going to be very interesting is when the new Congress does meet in early January and they have to vote on these um, or they have to approve what I was speaking about there, the Electoral College, you know, how are Republicans going to uh, respond in the Senate, for example? Are they going to say, oh, yes, we accept the results of the election, or are they not? That's going to be, I think, a moment of reckoning. Um, and we had have had some figures like Ted Cruz, um, like Tom Cotton of Arkansas, um, who have been kind of cheerleading the president, as it were, over the last few weeks. Now, the New York Times reported this week that the Trump's appeal for what he called his election defense fund has raised about $170 million, which is a staggering amount of money. Um, and it'll give him plenty of loose change after the election. Uh, it might have harmed democracy, but it's fair to say that from his point of view, that campaign has been quite successful, hasn't it? Yes, I think so. Um, and this is what's interesting now is is what is Donald Trump's next move. So he is in the White House. We're not seeing that much of him at the moment. He very rarely gives public appearances now. He's obviously on Twitter a lot, but he's evidently bruised by his election defeat. Um, And uh, he has spoken to advisors reportedly about uh, mounting a bid in 2024. So uh, this is another issue for the Republican Party because, um, you know, we talked a lot and people speculated about, you know, a post-Trump Republican Party. Is it going to return to a more moderate party? How is it going to rebuild after Trump? In fact, what seems to be emerging now is that Donald Trump is seriously considering a bid in 2024, which means he's not going away. Um, And I think that is a challenge now for Republicans. Number one, it is a challenge for Republicans who were themselves considering a bid in 2024. People like Nikki Haley, people like Mike Pence, even Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. You know, where does this leave them and their political aspiration for 2024? Um, And then, of course, as you say, the the fund that he's amassed now um, just suggests that there is at least uh, a lot some public support uh, for his efforts. Um, now, it remains to be seen if he will actually do that. He will be 78 in 2024. I think only one president in history has, uh, has only you know successfully run again after serving one term. 
Um, but evidently he um, is furious that he has lost this election. And at the moment, this is what he's saying. He had, a, he had a, a holiday reception at the White House this week and some of it was put online and he says to the supporters there, you know, I had a great four years. We're hoping to get four more, but if not, I'll be back in 2024. And this was received uh, with cheers from his supporters. Uh, nobody could really second guess Trump's and what he's going to do. But could we guess uh, how it might unfold for him in the next few weeks? Obviously, as you say, the Republicans will face a moment of reckoning in January themselves. But might Trump make an, such an announcement bef- even before the inauguration? Or will we expect to just stay under the radar for the next few weeks? Mm. It's possible um, that, I mean, the inauguration day is set at for January 20th. And even now, um, just yesterday, I could see outside the White House, outside Capitol Hill, you can see the building work going on already for the inauguration platform, um, even though we don't know what kind of uh, inauguration we're going to have because of COVID. Um, but it's it's literally outside his, you know, his doors. Um, it's proof every day when he looks out. And you can see, you know, this is changing. Change is coming and there is going to be a new president installed. Now, there has been reporting that perhaps he would even, he would not, uh, attend the inauguration as is traditionally the case or that he might announce his own bid for 2024 around an inauguration day so that's one possibility i mean the other focus over the next few weeks will be what he will do while he still has obviously the presidential power uh, be that in foreign policy or be it in um he's already for example during the week threatened to veto a defense spending bill over concern about regulation of social media giants section 230 uh, so that suggests, you know, that could be a, a conflict coming down the line in the, in the, few, in the coming few weeks. Um, and then, of course, what he might do with pardons. He's already uh, pardoned Mike Flynn as first national security advisor. So that's also going to be a focus in the next few weeks. There have been reports, and you wrote about it today, of, of a cash for pardons scandal, which, which came to light in documents in a federal court. What, what do we know about that? Yeah, this is fascinating. Um, these were unsealed this week. And um, it shows that the Department of Justice was investigating uh, that um, somebody, uh, individuals, um, offered ca- offered cash in exchange for pardons to and approached senior White House officials about this. Now, the documents are very, very heavily redacted. It's very difficult to get more information than that. But um, it looks like it was a very, uh, this, these documents uh, refer to August. So we don't know if the investigation is still going on or not. It may well be. Um, and it does suggest that the individual approached the White House officials offering money in exchange for a pardon for someone who was or had been in prison. Um, so now the Justice Department has said that no White House official has been the target of this investigation. Uh, Trump dismissed it as fake news, but obviously it's not fake news. There were court documents there. Um, so, yeah, we may hear more about that in the coming weeks. Um, but then we're also hearing reports that Donald Trump is considering uh, pardoning his eldest three children, maybe his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, as well as Rudy Giuliani. Uh, so there's a lot of speculation around that, too, uh, as he approaches the final weeks of his presidency. And do we know, I mean, that, that a president can can pardon somebody who hasn't actually been found guilty of of a crime or, re- or being charged even. Yeah, it sounds like they can. I mean, this is the issue is why would he do that? Um, now, it's interesting. Ivanka Trump, uh, just just yesterday, it emerged that she is being questioned um, as part of a, of a law suit being taken. Uh, it's historically, it, it, uh, it refers to the her own father's inauguration. So the 2017 inauguration committee 
and um, that it misused funds for that. Um, so it showed that she's kind of found herself in the middle of that. She's been questioned about that um, this week. Uh, so that may be one reason why this reporting about potential pardons for his children came out. That the problem, of course, for presidential pardons, both if Trump was to pardon himself, which again, it, we, you know, we don't we don't have a precedent for this, but it's you know the, some legal scholars suggest yes he can do that. Um, one of the issues with that is that it does allow protection from uh from investigations at a federal level, but not as a state at local and local level, and that's more of an issue for Donald Trump where his finances are under scrutiny from uh, the Southern District of New York and, and courts in, in New York. Uh, so that would not uh, provide him with with any protection there. And also, obviously, if his kids are you know involved in the Trump organization, most of those investigations into his finances, as I say, are at state level, not at federal level. So it's unclear how much protection a pardon would actually give in any event. Now, maybe the key event of, of the weeks ahead it will be the, the Georgia runoffs uh, for for the Senate. Uh, where there's, there's two uh, runoff races in early January. Can you, you remind us uh, where things stand there and, and what it means for the balance of the Senate? Yeah, so um, I suppose just just as a recap, I mean, on November the 3rd, not only did we have the presidential election, we had uh, elections for the House, the House of Representatives and a third of the seats in the US Senate. Um, but two of these races, and it's just by a quirk of timing, but that both were in Georgia. One was a special election, what, you know, which we would call a by-election in Ireland, and, and, and the other was a regular election in Georgia. Georgia's rules, um, Georgia's rules demand that candidates secure over 50% in order, or in order to win a race. No, neither candidate got that, so as a result, it's now going to run off race in January 5th, both of those elections. So two Republicans um, are the incumbents there, uh, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, and they are defending their seats from two Democrats. Now, the um, the results of the election so far um, show that Republicans have 50 seats in the Senate and Democrats have 48. So Democrats need to win these two seats. If they win the two seats, they now have 50 votes. And then Kamala Harris, as vice president, will be able to uh, cast a tie vote. So they will effectively have a majority, very, very narrow, obviously, very tight majority, but they will have that. Um, but it must be said that they are facing, you know, the odds are against them in Georgia. Uh, you know, for for the two candidates to win those seats will be quite a feat. And of course, Republicans only have to win one of those seats. So um, a lot of political energy and a lot of money is now going into Georgia. And that is one of the um, the aspects of Trump's fu- refusal to stand down. Because in Georgia, what's happening in- internally in that state is, you know, Republicans are some Republicans are worried that by casting doubt on the election, Donald Trump is is putting off his own supporters from participating in the election in January the fifth, and also, and um, the two Republicans there that are in the races are holding tight to Donald Trump. They know he's popular among Republicans in his state in in their state, so um they don't want to criticize. So they are giving legs to all his basis accusations of voter fraud. And we have this extraordinary situation in the weeks after the election where the two Republican candidates asked the Secretary of State in Georgia, who is himself a Republican, Brad Raffensperger, uh, to step down and made allegations of fraud. And he was saying, no, you know, this is above board, there's been no fraud, etc. So there's been a really interesting um, internal battle within the Republican Party in Georgia that I think is encapsulating the challenges for the Republican Party across the whole country, which is, you know, 
how you, the political ramifications of breaking with Donald Trump, essentially. So these two Republicans are sticking with him. And Trump himself is going to Georgia this weekend and he's going to hold what he's calling a rally for his two candidates. Um, so they really want to kind of keep the energy up on the Republican side to ensure that they win these elections in January. Now, if, if Trump's claims of electoral uh, fraud are, are tricky for Republicans, they're also, it's fair to say, isn't it, uh, tricky for Joe Biden um, as he begins his presidency, if, if a sizable uh, portion of the electorate uh, believe, believe the election was fraud- fraudulent. Yeah, and I think that's been quite interesting the way Joe Biden has handled this. Uh, so he was asked a couple of times at press events uh, about Donald Trump's refusal to stand down. And I think he very carefully did not want to fan those flames uh, and kind of said, you know, it's embarrassing, he did say, but he didn't push it, for example, when the GSA, the federal body uh, that is charged with uh, certifying him as the president and allowing him access to transition materials. He didn't push that when that wasn't the case. He could have, but he kind of let it play out, which is exactly what happened. And eventually the GSA did declare him the apparent winner, etc. So uh, this softly, softly approach by Joe Biden, I think, reflects the fact that he knows this, that you know a lot of the country is hurting and that a lot of country don't accept the results. So he doesn't want to antagonize Republicans, I think, at this point. He also doesn't want to antagonize Republicans in the Senate. Um, he has made a lot about of talk about his own uh, political style and his reputation as a bipartisan senator when he was on the Hill and his ability to work with Republicans. Now, the big question is, you know, will it, does that still apply in 21st century American politics? Um, it does not seem so. Uh, the political sphere is so much more polarized now. So, you know, there's maybe a, some would say even a naivety on, on Joe Biden's part that he thinks he can still sit down and do a deal with Mitch McConnell. But I think that is part of his um, his style as president. And uh, I think we are going to continue to see that kind of um, less abrasive approach from Joe Biden. He's not going to take the bait. And I think it's kind of like, you know, Donald Trump is almost like a small child in the corner that he's kind of saying, look, let's ignore him and he'll eventually concede and I will be president. So there's no point in expending energy in the meantime. And I think it's quite a good strategy, frankly. Um, but yes, it is worrying. And I think, as I say, this vote, when Congress meets in early January, the new Congress, and they have to consider the Electoral College then, it's usually a formality. I think it'll be interesting then we will see, you know, really the scale of Republicans feeling on this issue. You know, are they really prepared to accept this election result or not? They will. He's got the votes that he will become the president. But if they vote against that, any of them, I think it does indicate where Republicans uh, stand going into this new presidency. Now, Biden has made a number of key nominations for, to his administration or a number of appointments uh, so far. Um, and some of them very much hark back to the Obama administration. Who has caught your eye so far um, and and has Biden made a, made a concerted effort to, to balance the wings, the wings of the party? Mm, I suppose the two most senior so far have been Secretary of State nominee Anthony Blinken and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. So Blinken, um, there was no surprise here that he was appointed as Joe Biden's nominee for Secretary of State. He's a long-term advisor to Biden, very well known here behind the scenes in Washington. Mr. President-elect, working for you, having you as a mentor and friend, has been the greatest privilege of my professional life. He's very accomplished, very experienced, uh, former State Department employee. 
um, a French speaker. He spoke his own personal story is very, very interesting about his stepfather's escape from Europe into America and, and how he sees America's role in the world. For my family, uh, as for so many generations of Americans, America has literally been the last best hope on earth. My grandfather, Maurice Lincoln, fled pogroms in Russia and made a new life in America. His son, my father, Donald Lincoln, served in the United States Air Force during World War II. A lot of America's allies are very happy to see Tony Blinken um, come in as Secretary of State. He, uh, they're used to working with him before in the o Obama administration, and um, they're confident that he's going to uh, rebuild America's relationships with traditional allies in Europe and elsewhere. Um, he's talked about America's need to lead. And um, so I think it's kind of a welcome return to normality, as a lot of people see it. Uh, he he does, they will have some serious issues, for example, Iran, and um, what's going to happen there. Obviously, there was the assassination last week uh, in Iran and um, also the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, Joe Biden and the Obama administration obviously uh, signed up to that deal. But it's going to be a lot more difficult to put that back together now uh, since Donald Trump uh, took America out of that deal. So that's Anthony Blinken. The other person is Janet Yellen, very experienced. She's a former Federal Reserve chief. Her appointment has been welcomed by a lot of people. You know, on the left, she her when she was announced by Joe Biden, she gave a speech and she talked about issues like structural inequality in America. Stagnant wages, especially for workers who lack a college education. Communities that have seen industry disappear with no good jobs replacing lost ones. Racial disparities in pay, job opportunities, housing, food security, and small business lending that deny wealth building to communities of color. It's a convergence of tragedies that is not only economically unsustainable, but one that betrays our commitment to giving every American an equal chance to get ahead. So a lot of people have welcomed that and a lot of people on the left of the party. Um, now, both of these people will have to be approved by the Senate. And already we're seeing some pushback from Republicans about some nominees. Now, not Blinken and Janet, Ye Janet Yellen has already been confirmed um, previously, so they should be OK. But there are other figures that uh, Joe Biden have no has nominated um, that Republicans have said. So Neera Tandon, um, another advisor that he has appointed, she's uh, the chief executive of the Center for American Progress. And already some Republicans have said they are opposed to her nomination. So this may not go as smoothly as people might expect. Um, so that might be his big battle in the first few months of his presidency, getting his nominations through the Senate, particularly, as we say, if Democrats don't win uh, the two Georgia Senate races and Republicans are in control, that will be one of his first hurdles as president. Finally, Suzanne, um, given that we've had a, a record day of deaths uh, in the US uh, around coronavirus, about some 2,700 deaths, um, it is going to be a monumental challenge, clearly, for, for Biden um, as he as he starts his, his administration. And things will probably, given the trajectory, things look like they're going to get worse in the months ahead, don't they? Yeah, and I think the economic challenges are just enormous. And in many ways, there are parallels to the beginning of the Obama presidency. I just finished the Barack Obama memoir there, and, um, you know, Barack Obama in his first few months with Joe Biden on the side obviously had to deal with this huge financial crisis and trying to get a deal from Congress. 
um, a, a package, a bailout package, essentially, and then for the auto industry. So there are parallels here. I think that's going to be the, the biggest foremost challenge for uh, Joe Biden. Now, he's going to also have the issue of the vaccination program and the logistics of that and the coronavirus um, task force if he if he continues it uh, when he becomes president. But I think the economic challenges are equally uh, are equally difficult for him. So um, again, Yellen will be a very important person here uh, in that. And um, already we're seeing the, there are talks, sparks of uh, activity in Capitol Hill this week about maybe a new coronavirus relief package. Uh, but yesterday, Joe Biden held a virtual roundtable with small business owners and workers um, hearing their their stories about the COVID pandemic. And, and they were actually quite moving. Some people were very upset on it, saying, you know, they haven't worked since last March. They need the kind of payment packages that were included in the first coronavirus bill that was agreed here earlier in the year. So I think that is very much uh, going to be his focus, as well as the, the huge death toll. Um, there is now a concern, you know, we're just after Thanksgiving uh, holiday here and we're people are ho- are wondering will these figures go up even further in the coming days as people get tested here um so we're heading obviously into christmas so again the cdc uh, the main public health body here has discouraged people from traveling uh, uh for the christmas uh, period but it look it looks like the coronavirus numbers are continuing to rise here particularly infection rates and worrying concerns as well about hospitalization rates in some parts of the country so that is a real issue now and a real challenge for the incoming administration Suzanne Lynch in Washington thank you for joining us That's all we have time for today thanks to Suzanne Lynch and thank you for listening <laughs>